Well, good morning, Grace. Good mor- Not many people awake out there, huh? Good morning, Grace. All right, there we go. That's better. That's better. I, uh, you might occasionally see me up here walking like an old man. It's because I am. That's your cue to say, no, you're not. You missed it. You all missed it. No, 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 no. It's too late. Um, no, I, tr- I did something to my back yesterday, and now I'm feeling like an old man. So, um, so if, if you see me grimace, it's not you, it's me. So, <laughs> uh, We are here, though, not to talk about me. We're here to talk about Jesus, and I love that. Um, we're here to dive into Genesis chapter 25. Um, you know, I said this first service as we were um, singing that song first service that... Uh, You, all of us showed up today and we are building our lives on something right now. Like right now today, you have built your life on something. You are making choices and building your life on something right now. I don't know what that is. You might not even know what that is, but you're building your life on something. And here's the thing, there's one. One thing that's a firm foundation to build your life on, his love for you. Through the person and work of Jesus Christ, that's it. Our, our found, and we can, we can try to build a foundation on so many other things, right? I mean, can't we on the, on the approval of others? Uh, on seeking satisfaction in things that the world says we should seek satisfaction in? On, on making our lives work in a way that we wanted to? On being in control? We can put a foundation on so many things. And not one of them works. All of them. All of them will crack and all of them will fail us except for his love that never fails. And so, welcome to a new day. (laughs) You get to answer the question again, what am I building my life? What foundation am I putting my life on right now? Am I putting my hope in? Am I putting my trust in? What foundation? That's that's what we're going to look at today. I didn't know until first service when I got up that that's really the words that I... New words to put in where we're going today, but but what foundation are we building our lives upon? Because we're going to see that there's plenty other foundations that we choose so readily because they look so good, as opposed to the one foundation that actually works. So let me just uh, let me pray one more time for our time as we dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we love you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We know you are already here. Your presence, God, is with us always. You are present over this whole earth. And you are present in those of us who are followers of you, Jesus. A guaranteed presence, and yet we're not always aware of it. And even when we are aware of it, we aren't always submitted to the work that you long to do in us. So we take a moment right now like we do so readily, maybe in our personal quiet times or so readily on a Sunday when we open your word to say we submit to you, God, and what you want to do. We long to hear what you long to say. So God, I just pray that you would speak to us through your word today that you would make us ready listeners and ready appliers of your word, that you would teach us to pursue you just like you've pursued us. 
Jesus, we love you. We thank you for all that you have done for us. We thank you that nothing can separate us from your love. And we want to live and rest and walk out of that position of being loved today. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are in... Genesis chapter 25. Last week we were in, if you were with us, even if you weren't with us, we were in Genesis 24. But if you were with us, you might remember that everything worked. I mean, it was, such, it was something that we don't get a glimpse of often, especially through Genesis. But it seemed like Abraham and, and the servant and Rebecca and Isaac, everybody was submitting their plans to God's promises and God's purposes And everything just worked, and the couple got together in the end, and the music swelled, and you're just like ready to roll the credits. Do you ever have those times in your life you're just ready to roll the credits? You're like, this is as good as it's going to get. Jesus is working. he's, He's working and firing on all cylinders, and everything's great, except the credits don't roll, do they? I know that because you're here today. Like, you're not in the ground. You're not up with Jesus yet. Like, the credits haven't rolled yet, and life just keeps going, which can be a disappointment, like especially when we come to Genesis 25, because Genesis 24, everything was working. In Genesis 25, everything doesn't. Things start to go off the rail again. Life gets messy. The family gets messy again. But God shows up, because he always does, and he keeps working. So we're going to see some of that today. Genesis 25, we... Uh, Mark, a few weeks ago, talked about the beginning of Genesis 25, where Abraham uh, died and was buried. And then it goes into a section that we're not going to cover today, but it's about Ishmael and his genealogy. And it basically lists out all his sons. Ishmael has 12 sons, and uh, they, they develop into 12 tribes, and they're all at war with each other. And that's exactly what God said would happen. When, it, when Hagar was worried about her, her little one, um, God came to her and said, listen, I'm going to turn him into a nations. I'm going to turn, he's, he's going to multiply. He's going to thrive into lots of people. And they're going to be at war with each, with each other. And guess what? It happens. So there's this, this worship song recently that, that talks about God being a man of his word, right? And so, so that's what we can see when we come across something like that is God spoke it and it happened. He's a man of his, he's not a man, but he's a man of his word, Right? And, and so we, we take that and then we go into, it switches from Ishmael's genealogy to then Isaac's genealogy and starting in uh, Genesis 25 and starting in verse 19. And I forgot to bring the NIV version with me. So I'm reading from ESV and then later we'll go to NIV. So don't get confused. Um, and I got to get to Genesis 25. So let me flip there. Um, it starts out. It starts out. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was forty years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples 
from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak, so they called, him, called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once, when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field, and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew, for I am exhausted. Therefore, his name was called Edom. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die, and of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. So, really weird story. <laughs> we'll get to talking about the birthright in a little bit, but I want to start where we started with Isaac's genealogy. And this is a really strange way to start a genealogy. You're going to talk about the families of the people that come from Isaac, and this is how it starts. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. So you're going to talk about Isaac's genealogy, all the children that come from him, and you tell, him, you tell us that his wife is childless, which sounds kind of familiar, doesn't it? I mean, we've just spent chapters and chapters and chapters with Abraham and Sarah, where Sarah's been barren and struggled to conceive, have children. God promises that there are children coming. There's a child coming, but they, they disobey. They try it their own way. They struggle with doubt. And we see these ups and downs, and they're all over the, over the place with this. For 25 years, and I don't know how many chapters, we've walked this journey with Abraham and Sarah. This one's a little different though, right? It says, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Woo, one verse. Thank goodness. We don't have to read through all that again, right? So this time it's different, except this time it's not. It's not any different. We, I mean, we don't get the full story, but it's not any different because what we're gonna find out is, we were told already that when Isaac and Rebekah got married, Isaac was 40 years old. We're going to be told in a few verses that when Jacob and Esau are born, Isaac is 60 years old. So right here in this one verse, we've got a 20-year span, 20 years of ups and downs and struggles and doubts and wonderings and questions and prayers. And, and man, I look at that and it's like, what? Again? Really? And you keep reading, it's just going to keep going. Jacob's, uh, the, the next generation, Rachel and Leah, they're going to struggle with barrenness. And I don't know if you can, is it an oxymoron to say that barrenness runs in the family? It does. Like it just keeps going. And, and, and this is, isn't it ironic though? Like you go back and read about Ishmael's genealogy and he just had 12 sons just like that. Apparently no struggle. But, but the, the side of the family that's in covenant relationship with God, that God said, your descendants shall be like the stars and every generation is suffering from barrenness? Really? 
I mean, why is this so difficult? Do you ever wonder that? Like, as God's people, like, should, should it be this difficult? God, God, you have these promises that, that, that says our life, that says this is worth it. We talked about that this week, last week, right? This life following God is worth it. There's these promises that proved it, that show to us this is worth it. And we look at our lives and it doesn't match up sometimes. You say, my life right now doesn't, doesn't match up with what these promises say my life should look like. Love and joy and peace and fruit of the Spirit and abundant life. My life isn't matching up with this. Why is this so hard? And, and I was prepping with Pastor Mark and Pastor Jeff, and, and Pastor Jeff was, or Pastor Mark pointed out, like, it's, it's not hard necessarily because we're God's people, but it's because we have the promises and we see that gap between the promise and what our life really looks like. I mean, for other people, it's just that life's like that. It's just fate. I don't know. That's, that's what happens. He's just going to take it as it comes. But for us, for the people of God, we have a promise that life will be different. And yet our life doesn't always look like that. And in that gap, it gets tough. What do we do with that gap? God, why are there those gaps between the promise? Listen, I, I, I can't answer this morning why he, but if you're experiencing a gap in your life, a gap between the promises of God, the promises that are in Scripture, and what your life looks like right now. I am I, not going to stand up here and tell you why that gap is happening. You may find out eventually, but I'm not going to stand up here and be able to tell you why that's happening in your life. Can I tell you, though, I, I know one thing God does in those gaps. In those gaps, he has us wait. And in waiting, we build dependence on God and expectation of God. And there's no other way to develop those things. Dependence on God and expectation of God Well, we wait. And we see that that carries on actually into the... Abraham somewhere along the way developed this and we see that carried on into the next generation because Isaac, what does he do? He prays to the Lord on behalf of his wife. Expectation because she was childless. Dependence on the Lord. That's what we develop because here's, here's the thing. The commands of God aren't meant to be followed apart from relationship with him. That's dependence. The commands of God are not to be followed apart from relationship with him because God, all the way back in Genesis 1 even, I mean, even if we forget this covenant blessing for this particular family, to all the nations, on it, to all the people, to Adam and Eve and all the people following them, he said, be blessed, be fruitful, and multiply. That's a command. It's a fun command. Be fruitful and multiply. And, and yet, God even says right here, like, how, how many times have we seen God through, the, through Genesis, he's in charge, see that he's in charge of who gets pregnant and who doesn't, of who conceives and who doesn't, and God is sovereign all, over all of this. In this, following this command, be fruitful and multiply, but don't follow this command apart from God, apart from relationship with him. Why? Because that's, that's when it just turns into rules. Do you, ever, do you ever feel like this life just turns into rules sometimes? Like even we read our Bible and we try to follow what's in here, but it just feels like rules at times. It's because we've, if you're feeling that way, if you're going through a time like that, it's because I, I'm trying to check the box rather, be in, rather than be in relationship with him. And that doesn't work in any of our human relationships. Try that in your marriage. Try that with your friends. I just want to check a box. 
I, I'm just texting today. I'm just reaching out because I have to because I'm in a relationship with you. No, that, that's not the way relationships work. And, and the commands of God are there to instruct us and invite us into relationship with him. They're not to be devoid of relationship. And, and that's true of the blessings too. The blessings of God aren't meant to be enjoyed apart from relationship with him. Matt Chandler talks about this. He talks about how we, as God's people, experience blessings. Even if everybody else experiences them, we, we experience them a different way. An atheist can enjoy a, a good steak and a nice glass of wine and really enjoy it. But that enjoyment only goes so far. That enjoyment ends at it being a good steak and a nice glass of wine. Oh, but the people of God. <laughs> the people of God. See, we, we get to enjoy a good steak, like, like rare, medium rare, rare. I don't know if, I, I like a lot of pink in my steaks. So it's, so it's tender and juicy and you just put it in your mouth and your eyes close. Oh, that's a good steak. You can enjoy that steak. How is that different than the atheist? Because my enjoyment can roll up into praise that the living God is so good that he blessed us with this. Like I know the giver. I don't just get to open the present. I know who gave it. And he's good. And I get to know he's good. And so you, you see, our, the blessings that we experience, there's so many people across this world experiencing the blessings of God, but they have no idea who gave it. They're experiencing the blessings apart from relationship with him. We get the joy, we get the invitation of experiencing those blessings in relationship with him. And oh, by the way, we get to introduce some of those other people <laughs> into relationship with him. Because the commands of God aren't to be walked in, aren't to be followed apart from relationship with him. And the blessings of God are not to be experienced apart from relationship with him. That's dependence. That's expectation. It's a way to wait on the Lord well. And so this... It seems to me is how Isaac is waiting. He prays because his wife is childless. And guess what? Do you think expectation developed? Sure, God comes through. She, she gets pregnant and everything's great from then on out. No, it's not. Like, do you, does your life ever feel like that? You pray a prayer and God comes through. Praise God. And you're like, it's all going to go good from now on. And then another storm hits. And then another trial hits. And then there's one more thing, and I thought, I, I thought, but no, it's still, still going to be a difficult road. God's still in it, and he came through, but there's still more difficulty ahead. The babies jostled each other within her, and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. She says, why is this going on? So she went to inquire of the Lord. I, I love this because it shows what Rebecca learned from Isaac. She was barren, and she's the new one to the faith, by the way, when she comes, in, comes into marriage with Isaac. She's the new one in relationship with this God. And, and Isaac, he doesn't follow what the, those plans, he, he doesn't pull a Hagar, right, and try to work things out in his own way when his wife is barren. He's like, no, that didn't work for my dad. I'm just going to... 
I'm going to pray because I've learned to be dependent on God, expectant of God. And so he prays. And then Rebecca comes along and there's a storm. There's another trial. And what does she do? Well, I'm just going to do what I saw my husband do. I'm going to inquire of the Lord. I mean, they must have been a good match, do you think? Walking together in following the Lord. I don't know who you're in relationship with in your life. You know, in, in, in marriages, I've, I've talked to, to some folks in, in marriages and where it can seem like, and it often can feel like this, where you're in, in marriage and one of you is a little bit further along in the faith than the other. You ever, you ever feel like that? Or maybe if you're not married, like you're, you're roommates with somebody or you're like one of your really close friends and, and it feels like one of you is so much further along in the faith than the other at times like that. And I've seen that in marriages where, and for some reason so often it, it seems to be the wife tends to be further along than the husband in faith at times. And I wonder why that is. And then I, then I look at my own marriage and it's like that at times. There's times where, where Rach is just further along, where we're going through a trial, we're going through an experience and she just said, let's go right to prayer. She just says, well, do you know, this is what Jesus is saying to me in this. And I, I'm thinking, man, why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I go there? I mean, how many of us, when we see somebody stronger in the faith when us, than us, do we compare out? And don't you start to shame yourself? I, I, sh- I should have gone there. I, I can't believe she said, I should have thought of that. And then I start to even get resentful, right? Like, I, why did she have to say that? Because now I missed my chance to think of it first. Now I missed my chance to walk in this. And, and we can walk in relationship with somebody who's stronger in the faith than us and we can get shameful and heap blame on ourselves and we can get resentful that they're a little further along. I, w- I wish we would have never brought this up. I don't feel like praying right now. And why can't we take a step back and just praise God that he puts someone in our lives that's further along than us in the faith? Like, just praise God that your spouse might be further along than with you, that, that your roommate, that your friend might be further along with you, than you. And you don't need to sh- heap blame or shame on yourself. Just follow. Just praise God. Thank you, Lord, for the reminder through someone else. And I'm just going to walk in this way. And, and then, then the thing is, we can just keep pace with them. I mean, you see somebody doing something in your life and they're further along in the faith than you, just, just start running their speed. Just start keeping pace with them. And, and thank God that he put a model in your life, a model in your life for a way to step closer to him. Not a way to do more, not a way to perform, not a way to imitate, but a way to step closer to him. Can we do that? That's what I see happening for Isaac and For Rebecca here, as she follows suit and inquires of the Lord. And guess what? He comes through again. He answers. He answers. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb. And two peoples from within you will be separated. See, see, there's these babies are jostling in her womb. They're moving around a lot more than babies normally would. And today we would go, like the the mom would go get a sonogram. Not possible. Rebecca goes and inquires of the Lord. And the Lord says, here's the good news. Here's the good news. They're not hurt. They're going to make it okay. The babies are not only going to survive, they're going to thrive. They're going to turn into a people. Each one of them. Tons of descendants. Now, now there is one other thing, though. Uh, here's the bad news. You, you know, they're, they're moving around so much, not because they're hurt, but because they're wrestling. And they're not going to stop. 
when they come out of the womb. See, they're, they're moving around so much because they're fighting and that fighting is just going to get, you haven't seen anything yet, Rebecca. He says, two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. And we see this in here that God, right from birth, like we know what's going to happen. We already read part of the birthright story and the birthright ends up going to Jacob instead of Esau. But even before that happens, God is saying, the younger is my preference. The younger's going to come out on top. And this isn't the first time we see God do, do something like this, right? He did that with Isaac, Isaac was the second born, but he's the one who comes out on top. He's the one who gets the covenant blessing. He's the one that God works through. And we see it again with Jacob and Esau. And we see it with Jacob's sons, where Joseph gets chosen over his older brothers. We see it with Joseph's son, where the younger gets chosen over the older. We see it again and again and again through Scripture where God chooses what we wouldn't necessarily choose on the surface, right? And we do, when he does that way down the line with a guy named David, where he chooses David, the scrawny runt, over all of his older and stronger and better looking brothers, he chooses that and God says, no, 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 I choose him. Because you all, all, all you people, all you men look at the outside. I, I look at the heart. I have reasons for what I do. And, and we can look at this, and there's ways we can be confused because we can wonder, God, why would you choose a guy like Jacob, knowing all he's going to do, all the ways he's going to screw up, why would you choose him? And God says, I have my reasons. In fact, this keeps coming back up in Scripture, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, but I have to go here. I feel the need to go here. There's a few other times in Scripture that Jacob and Esau are mentioned. And you know what God says about them? He says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. Oof. Those are hard words. God says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. What, is that, what does that mean? Well, here's, here's the first thing you got to know. When, when he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated, it's not like a hate of, of intense antagonistic feelings against. It's not a hate of rejection like we would think of normal hatred. It, it's more like this. In the New Testament, Jesus says, whoever comes after me and wants to follow me must hate his father and mother and husband or wife or kids. Well, what are you saying, Jesus? Are you saying we need to actually, like, like despise and reject them and, and leave them out of the will and all that? No, 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 no. Jesus isn't saying, like, hate them and be against them and, and, and fight them. He, he's saying, you need to love me first. And, and my love needs to be the first and only love in your life, so much so that any other love falls far short of that. So that you're not putting your kids ahead of me. You're not putting your spouse ahead of me. Love me first so much that any other love in your life, it, you, could, you could almost compare it to hate. That's, that's how far down the spectrum it needs to be. And it's, it's, it's a statement of priority. We don't have priorities in life. We have one priority. What's the priority of your love? 
It should be him. And all other loves fall in line, right? And so when God says, I have loved Jacob and I've hated Esau, it's a sense of priority. It's not I've despised and rejected Esau. Esau actually isn't going to have that bad of a life. We're going to find out. Yeah, he's going to lose the blessing. He's going to give that up in some ways. But you look at him later on, he prospers. But, But God is speaking to preferential love. And so when he says this in scripture, there's a couple takeaways to have. I'll let you look up these passages later, but Malachi 1 is one of the places he says this. And the prophet Malachi is speaking to the descendants of Jacob. And they've, they've been exiled, they've been stolen away from the land, and God brought them back and allowed them to rebuild. And now they're all messed up. And you know what they're doing right now? They're doubting that God loves them. Do you know God loves you? God loves you today, right here, right now. I don't know what's going on in your life. I know how easy it is to doubt his, he loves you. The people of Israel are in this place where they're like, I don't know if he loves us. And God says through the prophet Malachi, listen, I have loved you. And you just look at me back in the face and you say, how have you loved us, Lord? And he's saying, listen, I've loved you. Like this, I, I, I loved Jacob and I hated Esau. Listen, and he says, I, I brought you back to rebuild. And the descendants of Esau, I didn't bring back to rebuild. I'm not going to. They're never going to get to rebuild because I have, a, I have a love for you, a special love for you. And so when God says, I have loved Jacob and hated Esau, I know we get worried about what happened to Esau. The point of him saying that is he has loved you. He has a special, you are his treasure, the apple of his eye. And we don't need to worry about the others. He's going to figure that out. That's the other part of him saying this. Romans 9 is the other place that this gets brought up. Where God said, God said this, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. And, and Paul's talking to the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people. And he's just told them that nothing can separate them from the love of God. And he says, I know some of you have a question. Like, there's my, there's my brothers and sisters in Judaism who don't realize that Jesus is the Messiah. And you look over there and you point at them and you say, what about them? I mean, I mean God inv- is inviting us back to himself. Has God failed in his word? And Paul says, no, no, no. He's, he's not failed in his word. He is still in charge and he'll figure it out. He says it's just like Jacob and Esau. He's in charge. He gets to have mercy on who he wants to have mercy. And he will figure it out. So you don't need to worry about that. He is. And and you know why? So that he gets the glory. So that he gets the glory. Why Why does God choose what we wouldn't choose? He does it. Because then he gets the glory. That's what 1 Corinthians says. God has chosen to work through the foolish and weak things of this world. What? To shame the wise and the strong. So that he gets the glory. So we know it doesn't come from us. And so God, again, chooses the weak and foolish things of the world. We look at this and we say, man, God, why would you choose Jacob? I think we're going to start to see 
a little bit of the reason why, but ultimately he will have mercy on who he has mercy and thank God for that, right? Because Jacob is so messed up, we look at him and say, God, why would you choose him? And we can look in the mirror and say, we are so messed up, God, why would you choose us? He says, I have mercy on who I have mercy. Do you know God has mercy on you today through the person of Jesus Christ? Walk in and receive that mercy today. And so, this is what's going to happen. And God is a man of his word. The babies get born. They don't die and they thrive. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in a room, the, in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him Harry. That's what Esau means, Harry. Uh, and after this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so that he was named Heel Grabber. That's what Jacob means. And, and Jacob, that name does have a twist. It also means deceiver. It means he, he was, he's somebody who's going to go through his life and he's not going to stop grabbing onto heels. He's not going to stop trying to trip somebody else up. Mostly it's going to have to do his, with his brother. Occasionally it has to do with others. But he's going to walk through life as a deceiver, as a heel grabber. And we'll see that start to come true even today. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And then they begin to grow. The boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. Esau was a man's man. Oh, I mean, he, he's hairy. He hunts. He fishes. He grunts. He sweats. He smells like a man. He walks through doors and he has to go through sideways. He's... He's that much of a man. If you are going to choose a man, you are going to choose this man. Except God doesn't. God chooses Jacob, who was content to stay at home among the tents. Aw. Isn't that sweet? Pansy? I mean, like, what's going on? I know, I know. Well, like, we wouldn't say that nowadays. We got, like, HGTV, and there's, like, yeah, there's guy cooks and working on the house and all that stuff. That's good. But we read this, right? And don't you think, like, I mean, really, Jacob, come on. Well, some of the translations say, uh, what it really says here is Jacob was a plain man, dwelling in tents. And we think vanilla. I think, man, what a sissy. And, and, and yet, I don't think that's actually what it's saying. Because the word here, that when, when it says Jacob was a plain man, the, word, the actual word in Hebrew is tom. And that word is used like 10 or 11 other times in the Old Testament. And every other time, this is the only time it's translated this way, plain. Every other time it's translated a different way. You know how it's translated? Righteous, upright, perfect. When the writer of Job wants to tell us that Job is a righteous man, says he's Tom. And here the writer tells us that Jacob is Tom. 
You say, I don't see that. I know what's going to happen. Look at the birthright we're going to talk about. Listen. Being upright, being righteous, I think one of the things we're going to take from this this morning is that it's not necessarily about what we do all the time. When it's about what we do, all of us, every single one of us, Jacob, Job, everybody is unrighteous. But it might be calling him Tom because of how he responds to the invitation of God upon his life. Because after all, that's how we get declared righteous, is how we respond to the invitation of God upon our lives, the invitation through Jesus Christ upon our lives. Let's, let's see how this works in Jacob's life. So once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. And he said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And it's, it's crazy. The original language here, it talk, it's, it's almost like... It, it goes out of its way to tell us Esau is just like at the end of himself and he can't, he can't even talk right. He comes up and literally what he's, what he's saying to Jacob is, give me some of that red, red stuff. Like he can't even put it into words. It's grunting like a Neanderthal or something. Like, he, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why he was also called Edom. Jacob, Jacob replied, first sell me your birthright. Look, I am about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, <laughs> said, swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. And we read this story and it's, it's really strange, right? There's all these things we could take from this specifically about Jacob. I walk away from this story and I'm thinking Jacob is a jerk. And yet the author, I, I think, is cluing us into, here's, here's why I'm telling you this story. You want to know why I'm telling you this story? So Esau despised his birthright. Here's where I want you to, Esau, look at what he did. Don't worry about Jacob for now. We'll work that out. <laughs> look at what Esau did. So, so to understand what Esau did, you got to understand, like, what, what's at stake here with this birthright thing? So uh, a birthright in those times was for the oldest son in the family. And it meant a couple of things. It meant that when dad died, he took over responsibility for everybody in the household. The, the younger sons, they could go do whatever they needed to do. But the responsibility of the whole household came to him. It also meant he got a double portion of, of all the inheritance, so when Isaac dies, the inheritance is not going to be split two ways between his two sons. It's going to be split three ways, and Esau gets two, and Jacob gets one share. And, and, and then I, I think unique to this family is the blessing of God. The covenant blessing of God that God's going to work through this part of the family in a special way. Just like he did with Isaac instead of Ishmael, is going to go to well, probably Esau instead of Jacob, right? Because Esau's the older one, except no. It's going to go to Jacob. And, and this is what is it at stake for Esau. All of this down the road, all of this in the future, this is what's at stake. And Esau trades it for a bowl of soup. It says Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised, and we, th we think, well, 
It, it means he hated it, means he didn't want it, and that's not even necessarily what it means. It's kind of like when God said, I have loved Jacob and I have hated Esau. When it says despised, it doesn't mean that he hated it, that he spit on it. It just means that he didn't value it. In fact, he didn't value it so much, he might as well have despised it. See, there came a point today in Esau's life, there came a point where he didn't value that birthright most. And so it's just like he didn't value it at all. It's not that he didn't want it. We're going to be told later that he wants it. Look at this. We're going to talk about this verse a little more, but look at this. In Hebrews chapter 12, it refers back to Esau and what he did right here. It says, See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, see, he, he wants it. He was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with tears, he could not change what he had done. What's the point? Here's... Here's the point, I think. Don't trade what you really want for what you really want right now. See, there's a difference. So many times in our lives, the world is going to tell us, our own voice, our own heads are going to tell us, every commercial you watch is going to tell us that they're the same thing. What you want right now is what you really want, and that is not true. I mean, we know this. We just don't live this out. Like deep down, we know this, right? Like any of us, any of us, if we go to look in the mirror, right? What would you say? Any one of us would probably say, I'm not quite happy with my body. I don't care what you look like right now. I'm not, like, any one of us look in the mirror, I, man, I'd, I'd like to lose a few pounds. I'd like to buff up a little bit. So that's what we really want. Like deep down, that, that would be what we really want. Except when we go through the drive-through, that isn't what we really want right now. Because if we wanted that right now, we'd go for the salad every time, and we don't. We said some of you do. Some of you do. I don't. I go for the double cheeseburger and fries and supersize and all that stuff. Because what we really want right now gets the better of what we really want. And when we look at Esau, here's the point. We got we to say, we got to ask ourselves, is what I really want right now getting better, the better of what I really want? Do you notice, that, why does the author of Hebrews <laughs> compare Esau to a sexually immoral person? Somebody who sleeps around and thinks with a different part of their body than their head. Why, why, why does he say this? Well, because that's what a sexually immoral person does. Uh, look at our culture and like ultimately in relationships, most of it, like almost all of us in our right, when we're in our right minds, we, we, we ultimately have the same desire. You look at movies today, romantic movies today, and as warped of a picture as they can show us, don't they ultimately show us that what all of us want is one, that that one we just want that one that is meant for us where we can live with happily ever after and the music is going to swell just like it did for Isaac and Rebecca and the credits are going to roll and that's what we want. So that's ultimately deep, deep down. Maybe they won't even admit it to themselves, but ultimately the sexually immoral person, that's what they want. But that's not what they want right now. 
And they're living in a way that, that just uses people and abuses people and uses themselves just to get what they want right now and doesn't get them anywhere closer to what they really want. And God is saying, stop trading. Stop trading. I'm calling you to wait on me. Do you know why my promises don't match up completely with your life right now? I am calling you to wait on me, to depend on me, to expect from me, to not grab for yourself because what you're grabbing for yourself, what you would grab for yourself is getting in the way of everything I've promised you. So what's your soup? What's your soup today? Is there an area of your life that you have been choosing this, what you want right now, instead of what God really wants for you? And I'm not saying you can't ever choose the burger in the drive-thru. Like, that's not the point. I'm just saying, when you choose it again and again and again and again and again, it's going to have consequences, amen? There's going to be consequences when we choose this again and again and again. So uh, what, how, do, how do we keep from being this? How do we keep from being an Esau? I want to look back at two things Esau said, because I think there's some hints here. He, he says, look at the first line on the screen. Look, I am about to die. And you think, really, Esau? Come on, man. Like, I don't know. Like, maybe he's, he's, he's been out hunting in the wilderness, maybe for days. Maybe it's been slim pickings. So sure, like, you're super hungry. You're super tired. I get, but, but, but really about to die? And I, I read all the, a lot of the commentators I read about this, like, they, they just say, well, I guess Esau is just, like, kind of, like, exaggerating. That's, that's what he does. And, and maybe he is. I don't want to, like, maybe he is. They're a lot smarter than I am. But, but here's the thing. When I look at Esau's life, he doesn't strike me as a drama queen. Like, I don't see that evidenced anywhere else in his life. To, to come and drag himself up and say, look, I'm about to die and try to get, try to get pity. I don't see that happening. And, and, and I wonder, so I wonder about this. Look, I am about to die. Is that not so much, maybe it's not so much that Esau really actually thinks he might actually die today. But maybe this is just how he lives every single day. Yeah, this is all I've got. Going to die someday, probably tomorrow. Eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow I die. And maybe this is really how he lives his life. So focused on the now that he despises tomorrow. That he despises everything after. So focused on right now, this instance, and what he wants so that he's not even thinking about tomorrow. You know, Jesus said not to worry about tomorrow. He told us not to worry about tomorrow. Praise God, we do not have to worry about tomorrow. He didn't say don't think about it, though. In fact, in fact Scripture calls us to be planners, to be intentional about our lives, that, that, that we will leave a legacy someday. We're going to talk about that in a minute, that we're going to leave a legacy someday. And there is some thinking we need to do about the future in order to make appropriate choices today. Let me put it to you this way. Out on the wall, we've got the treasure keys from, a, from the treasure principle. This was a series we did years ago, a couple years back, about how do we steward our money how do we steward the resources that God has given us in a way that keeps him first, him in mind? And you know what one of the principles is, if you go out and read it on there? It's, it's that I will live not for the dot, 
but for the line. Not for the dot of the present moment. Right here, right now, right this today is your dot. And one of the commitments there is how am I going to spend money wisely? How am I going to steward it? Well, I'm going to live not for just the dot, but for the line that extends from here to eternity. There is a future coming for me, and there is a future impact to my choices, and I am going to live and make choices in light of that. And so here's the question, are we? Are, 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 we, living, are we living for the dot or for the line? Are you going to go out and spend all your money? Because a lot of us, we've got bank accounts and everything. We could go buy a lot. Been blessed by God by all of that. We could go buy a whole lot. But it wouldn't bode well for tomorrow, right? So we all know that. But, but how far, are we taking that to, to, to the choices we make in our daily lives? Are, are we so focused on our wants today that we're rejecting the tomorrow that God is inviting us to think about and consider and be intentional and walk in? And wait on him. So, so are we people of now or are we people of eternity? That's one thing. Look at, look at your choices and what you spend and what you eat and how you walk about your day. Are you a person of the now? Just the now? Just right now? Or are you a person of eternity? And here, here's, here's another question to ask. Are, are you so focused on me that you forget about the we? that you reject the we, because I think that happened to Esau too. He says, what good is the birthright to me? Here's the thing, Esau, the birthright isn't just about you. It's not. Do you you know why the first son gets double the inheritance? That doesn't really seem fair, does it? Why, Why should he get double and the second son only get like just a third? Well, it's because that that first son is going to be responsible for the entire household. Those resources aren't just for him to enjoy. They're for everyone else around him that's going to be in his sphere of influence. And so Esau needs to wake up and realize this isn't just about me. This is about we. What about the choices you make in your life? Uh, Is there some area of your life that you're making choices that are so focused on me that it's the expense of the we in your life. There's a, a, a pastor I heard who's, who said, said this about sin, about the sinful choices we make in our lives, is that we think sin is like a, a sharpshooter's rifle. And there's going to be consequences. We know there's going to be consequences for sin. We know there's going to be consequences when we don't choose God's best. But it's like a sharpshooter's rifle, we think, that's just going to be targeted right at us. The damage might be severe, but it stays right here. And the speaker who I heard talk about this said, said the consequences of sin, they aren't like a sharpshooter's rifle. It's more like bomb shrapnel. It's more like a landmine where you step up. And it's, the consequences don't just impact you. They impact everybody around you. There's people in your life that are impacted by the consequences of your choices. Do you know that? When you choose to accept God's invitation into the best that he has, which might be waiting today, and not being satisfied in where you would want to be satisfied today, waiting for his best, when you make choices to receive and accept and walk in God's best, you bless others around you. And when you choose something else, 
there is damage inflicted on others around you too. I would go further than that though. I would say it's not just like bomb shrapnel, it's like a nuclear bomb. You know the difference between a bomb, just a, just a bomb that goes off, well that hurts everybody around you, but a nuclear bomb, that goes off and, and the land is devastated for generations. It impacts your children and your children's children, People you have influence, if you, if you don't have, you have spiritual kids, okay? Even if you, you sit back and you say, I don't have kids. You have people who are watching you, who you may not know it, but you are modeling for them how to walk through life, how to follow Jesus or not. And the choices we make can be like a nuclear bomb because it can impact generations. Look at what it did for Esau. Do you know what it says? He says, he says give me some of that red, red stuff. And what does the author say? That's why he's called Edom. You know what that means? Red. Do you know what his kids were called? Edomites. His kids and his grandkids and his great-grandkids and his great-great-grandkids, generation after generation after generation were named after the thing that Esau lusted after. Do you see the nuclear bomb that went off? And it, it, it followed a whole lot more in name, I think, because you look through scripture and the Edomites were a people who did not choose the best. The choices today, God, I know this is weighty. <laughs> You're like, lift the heavy. I, I know, like this is, but, but listen, we need to understand. We need to stop living for now. If there is any way in our lives that we're living for now and forsaking tomorrow, God is inviting us lovingly, graciously to say, think. Your choices have impact. If there's any way that we are living and thinking just about me at the expense of everybody else around us and maybe everybody else who will follow after us tomorrow, God is lovingly, graciously inviting us to say, like, you have a choice and it's going to have impact. Now listen, you say, today, I've screwed up. I've screwed up too. And this can feel heavy because I can look back and, I, man, the time I wasted, the choices I've made, the devastation it's wrought. Listen, praise God, our God is gracious. And his mercy can cover over that and can redeem. Can redeem the past in ways we didn't think possible. He, he sends a prophet to, to people in the Bible whose land has been devastated by locusts. And you know what he says to him? He says, I'm going to redeem the years that the locusts have stolen. You've been living in poverty and want and need and devastation for a few years because of these locusts. I'm, I'm going to redeem it all. It's going to get better than you ever believed it could. We serve a God who is just that gracious. And shall we go on sinning? By no means, Paul says. Let's not do it. So, so, so listen, like, is there any way that the Spirit of God would be calling you to, to turn from thinking just about now and think about tomorrow? And just about me and think about we. I, I, one of the, so many, like I look around this room and so many of you are, like I know this. There's areas of your life where you are. I see the fruit. Others in your life see the fruit. And, and I love the way one author talked about, like, 
You know how Jesus leaves the 99 to go after the one. We think about that in terms of people. Do you know what? Jesus does that for us as individuals too. One author said like, he leaves the 99% of our soul that is redeemed and bought back to him and living in the light to go after that 1% of us that's still in the dark. So like, listen, with the spirit of God revealed to you today, like there's 1%, there's this 1% that I want to draw your attention to today that's not living in the light of my goodness and that I want to call back into the light. And would you submit that to him? We have a choice today. You have a choice, to, just like we do every day, but, but today is what you got. <laughs> You're gonna have another choice again tomorrow, but today is what you have. Right now is what you have. What will we choose? Now here's the thing. This isn't law. I'm not saying make a list that you follow outside of relationship of the living God, right? Remember, this is where we started. This, this is not following his commands outside of relationship with him. My family and I went to see David recently at Sight and Sound. Anybody seen that? A, oh, well, if, a few of you. Okay, well, it's worth it. Go see it. I love some of the choices they made with the story of David. And we all, we, many of us know the story of David. I mean, he, he was chosen by God above his older brothers, but eventually, you know, fought the giant, was faithful to God, became king of Israel, and then was unfaithful to God with Bathsheba, right? And the prophet Nathan confronts him. And, and, Nathan, and David gets to this point where he confesses and repents of his sin. And, he, and it, and I love the way they do it in the show. It's such a beautiful moment of redemption and repentance on behalf of David. But he gets after that moment. And David basically says, now what? Like, I don't know. I, I've caused all this devastation. There's all these impact on my choices. And, and I've confessed and I've repented. But, but now what? And Nathan, the prophet, looks at him and says, listen, David, God's pursuing your heart. Pursue his and it's this great callback to what, what David has been singing all show, I'm after your heart, God. The whole story long, I'm after your heart, God. And somewhere along the way, he forgot. And Nathan was the end. It's not rules. It's will we be after the heart of the living God. He is pursuing you. Will you pursue him in this, in this, in whatever the Spirit of God would reveal to you that this is the way that I have been laying a different foundation for myself? And maybe it's all those things we traditionally think of, sex or drugs or addictions. Maybe it's the distractions of our phone and entertainment. You know, like I, one of the lessons the Lord's been teaching me some is how quick we are to, re, to turn from our pain. We don't want to feel our pain and so we seek out distraction. God has lessons for us in the pain. If we'll choose to listen and not follow after distraction. I'm not saying don't ever take out your phone. I'm saying don't take out your phone every time. You're distracting yourself from pain that God is calling you in. 
Maybe it's approval of other people. Like there's a firm foundation on the love of Jesus Christ and his love only. Because there's ways we can make choices in our lives to try to get other people to love us and put all our security and all our significance into what other people think of us and how they respond to us. And folks, that's not a firm foundation. So listen, as the worship team comes out, again, I don't, I'm going to stop talking and I want the spirit to talk. I just want to invite us to a moment of, would you all bow your heads with me? I just want to invite us to a moment of silence. And I, and I recognize this message could land very heavy on some of our lives. And so Jesus, by the power of your redeeming blood and your finished work on the cross, I rebuke all shame and unhealthy guilt that any of us would be feeling as we look to invite you into this one area of our lives that you would reveal that we've said no to you so often, that we've traded your goodness for soup. We rebuke shame and guilt, but spirit, we invite your conviction. Holy Spirit, you are here among us, and this place for some of us, maybe for all of us, is an uncomfortable place. Silence and waiting, and maybe looking at a painful part of our lives. But Spirit, we invite you in this moment to do your work. If there is any way you would convict me in this moment, if there is a way you would convict us in this moment, we invite that conviction now. If the Lord revealed anything to you, just raise a hand right where you are. If there is some area of your life that he said a light needs shown here today, now raise a hand. Thank you. Thank you. Many of you, several of you across this place with hands raised. So Lord God, we bring these areas to you. We confess that we've been choosing soup instead of all the resources, the inheritance, the promises that you offer us. And today, we confess of that, Lord. We repent of that. Jesus, we are so sorry for the ways we get distracted from what we really want. And we sit here this morning, in this moment right now, where we have a choice before us. We just say, we want you and the best that you have for us. And what we really want, it's you. In a few moments, we're going to leave this place and we're not going to have the strength to not choose soup again in and of ourselves. And so Jesus, God, by, by the power of your spirit within us, I ask that the same power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead, that by that power, 
You would do a work in us that would enable us through you alone to wait on you, to trust you, to reject what needs rejected out of our lives so so that we can receive all the goodness that you have for us. We submit ourselves afresh to you today, Lord. And God, we resolve again today, not by our own strength, but by yours, that we will build our lives here on you. God, may we walk as people today, receiving of your love and walking in the freedom and the joy and the hope that comes from knowing that nothing can separate us from the love of God the Father through Jesus Christ the Son. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. People of grace, would you stand to your feet and let's worship him together.